people want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. My name is Joy Silver, and this is Outspoken. Today, we're going to talk about what happens in Texas doesn't stay in Texas. In fact, if only what happened in Texas was only about abortion instead of the descent into fascism through domestic terrorism. Now, the most restrictive law since Roe v. Wade was voted in by Texas lawmakers, and what are we going to do about it? Today's guest is Julie Bornstein to talk us through these legalities. Julie served in the California State Assembly. She taught contracts and constitutional law and served in many capacities in her career-long area of affordable housing. She calls herself an old feminist politician and lawyer. Julie, how are you today? Fine, Joy. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm really happy that you're here to talk us through this because I know you know a little bit about law. Well, just a little bit, hopefully. Yes. We want to know, and our listeners want to know, what exactly happened in that Texas ruling? I mean, is it legal? Wasn't Roe v. Wade already decided? Well, yes. Roe v. v. Wade is considered settled law, to quote uh, Justice Kavanaugh in his confirmation hearings. Uh, And you would think settled law would have made that Texas law illegal and unconstitutional on its face, and that's pretty much what the dissenting justices said in the, in the recent uh, decision by the Supreme Court. They did not rule on the merits of the law. What took people by surprise was that they failed to restrain or stay the enforcement of the Texas law until it works its way through the court system. Well, that's a good... That's uh, and, a, and that's what took everybody by surprise. Well, that's a good question there, Julie. Could you explain a little bit about what a stay is and how the court should have issued one at this point? Uh, sure. Uh, a stay is like uh, what we also know as an injunction. It, it's, a, it's a decision by a court that says, look, We know you passed this law, and by your legislative process, Texas, it would go into effect. However, we believe that doing so would radically change the status quo. It would impact people's uh, fundamental civil rights. And therefore, since we know it's going to be challenged on constitutional grounds, we will stay or, let's say, enjoin or postpone the enforcement and implementation of that law until we can have a judicial ruling on its validity. That's what people expected the court to do. They did not. Why do you think they didn't do that? Well, of course, the court, the the majority, uh, is now very much on the defensive. If you notice, both uh, Justice Thomas and Justice Coney Barrett have been around saying, oh, no, the court's not politicized anymore. Why would you say we're well, politicizing the court? There is no valid legal reason of why they did not stay enforcement of the law. There is, of course, an obvious political reason. Right. And I think that had to do with the confirmations in the first place, wouldn't you think? Well, it goes back to, to uh, Trump's promise when he was uh, running for office in, in 2015 and 16 that any Supreme Court justice he appointed would 
be appointed with the specific intent of overturning Roe versus Wade. And as we know, he ended up making three appointments. Right. And that that put us with a very conservative majority. That's right. And I, what do you think um, RBG would have said to all of this? Is this live? Hello. On the radio? Oops, Hello? sorry. We got a little glitch there. Are you there, Julie? Oops, we lost Julie. All right, we're going to we're going to bring her back. So it's very interesting to see that Julie was talking about this conservative um, judicial system that we have right now. And I think it's very, very frightening. As I said, uh, we are talking to Julie Bornstein. And if you'd like to join us on this show, you can call 760-677-0111. Originally, I said that what happens in Texas does not stay in Texas, and we know that similar laws are being thought of in many, many states right now. Since it was able to get passed in Texas, there will be a lot of copycatting to that. But what really concerns me personally are the bounties that are attached to this, and that is creating a vigilante citizenry. So this goes back to 1860 when the United States federal government actually offered a payment for capturing and returning fugitives from slavery. And this is not radically different than I think what we're going to see today. In fact, the most scary part of this, uh, I've just recently been reading Erica Mann's book called Education Under the Nazis, School for Barbarians. This is particularly frightening because, well, Uh, Having children rat on their families and uh, money being involved with incentives. I mean, this just um, makes sure that we can uh, you could see how this is a descent into fascism. Uh, I think Julie Bornstein is back with us. Julie, are you there? I am back. Oh, that's okay. I was I was actually asking you in that moment, how would Ruth Bader Ginsburg feel about this particular thing? Well, uh, you saw the, the vehemence of the emotion by um, the, the dissenting justices. Even Justice Breyer, who is not known for being emotional, has been giving interviews saying that the decision of the majority was very, 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 very wrong. So I think Justice Ginsburg would have been outraged and, it would, and her dissent would have been scorching. But the difficulty is the Supreme Court decides by voting and the majority chose not to stay the enforcement of this law. So it will and has gone into effect. One thing, though, I would like to do, Joy, if you don't mind, because I find a lot of people misunderstand this, is to go up to a 30,000-foot level. Uh, We know that there is a movement to overturn Roe versus Wade. The Mississippi case is going to be heard in December. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please... Oops. Hello? Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. We're having a few little technology uh, situations here. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Julie. Uh, That's all right. So the the Mississippi case, the attorney general has said that the intent of Mississippi is to provide a vehicle to overturn Roe versus Wade. But I want people to understand, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, that does not forbid safe abortions in the United States. What it means is, that the, that each state can choose to do for itself what it wishes to on the issue of abortion. In California and in many other states, we have, um, uh, we have already codified a woman's right 
to choose an abortion if she chooses, if, if that's her circumstances. So in California, even if Roe versus Wade is overturned, there will not be a difference. Well, here in California, that may be true, but the fact that it could be overturned in a national way of something we fought so hard for back in the 70s, I think, is just extremely frightening. Julie, do you know anything well, about... It certainly it is. Do you know it anything is. about the appeal that's been filed by Whole Women's Health? Well, in which case, Whole Women's Health has, uh, you, is, in, has been... Uh, a, a, a plaintiff in a number of cases. So Right, and I, I know they have a, a, an appeal right now on this particular um, law that's been passed in Texas. Well, yes, yeah, so that's, that's how, that's why a stay seemed to be the right thing to do. There are cases filed in Texas to challenge the constitutionality of the law, because right now, as you and I are discussing this, Joy, Roe versus Wade is the law of the land and has been for decades. So on its face, this law would appear to be unconstitutional. And, and of course, there are court challenges. Whole women, uh, whole women's health is one of the plaintiffs. But we have a justice system. And so you have to work your way up through the courts. Uh, judges don't make opinions about cases that they read about in the newspaper. There has to be a case on their docket. So this has to go to a trial-level court and then an appellate court, and then the Supreme Court could choose to take it. Why people are focused on the Mississippi case is it has already gone through the lower levels of decision, and it is now on the Supreme Court docket and will be argued in this coming term. So let me ask you something then. The case that's going to be heard on October 4th, that's in the Fifth Circuit, how will how does that affect Texas? Well, the Fifth Circuit does affect Texas. So, you know, we have the, the country's divided into different circuits, and, the, and that's the appellate level in the federal system. When an appellate court makes a decision, it only applies to those states that are within that uh, circuit's district. We are in the Ninth Circuit in California. So, and the Fifth uh, the Circuit covers Texas. So depending on how the Fifth Circuit rules, uh, and they are a very conservative circuit, so if I were to predict, which I don't usually do, I think they will uphold the Texas law. But uh, in either case, the parties will um, appeal it to the Supreme Court unless the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade before that can even happen. Wow. So do you think that we are in danger of that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but we're in danger of it through the Mississippi case, which is a 15-week viability, not a 15-week a uh, um, uh, deadline, not a six-week deadline. But um, Mississippi has said that's their stated purpose is to provide the legal vehicle, the case, that will come to the Supreme Court with the intent of overturning Roe versus Wade. The, the court accepted the case. It's being argued in this term, and it will be decided before next June. My goodness, that does frighten us. I mean, we're still fighting the same old fight from the 70s, and uh, here we are again at this uh, moment in time, Julie, and certainly I was back there fighting that 
particular uh, fight myself. So I, I do want to ask you, and maybe, I'm not sure if we how much time we have right now, but I do. We have one minute, so I do. I want to let you know that we're talking to Julie Bornstein right now. She calls herself an old feminist politician and lawyer. You can call seven six zero six seven seven. 0111 if you want to join this conversation and before uh, we and maybe you need a few minutes to think about this but I have an idea Julie that you've already thought about this the bounties and incentives on people telling on people I want to get some of your uh, feelings and thoughts on that particular subject about the bounties and incentives well it's reprehensible but it shows you to the extent that Texas acknowledged that Roe versus Wade is the law of the land because the Constitution prohibits government from interfering with our rights, but it doesn't necessarily restrict the activities of private individuals. So private individuals become the enforcer on the Texas law. To me, that is the most cynical and underhanded way in which to overturn the rights of women to choose their destiny that I have ever seen. And, and uh, it, it really shows that they put some thought into this, thinking, well, how can we get our law passed without overturning Roe versus Wade? And it really sets a reprehensible um, precedent. Well, thank you so much, Julie Bornstein. We're talking about how what happens in Texas doesn't necessarily stay in Texas. And we were talking to Julie Bornstein, who calls herself an old feminist politician and lawyer. Still to come on Outspoken, Emiliana Waraka, founder of the Los Angeles Women's March, will be joining us along with Alicia Schoenberg of the Courageous Resistance of the Desert. I'm Joy Silver, and you're listening to Radio 111 Outspoken. She's fierce. She's bold. She's outspoken. Here's Radio 111's proud progressive, Joy Silver. Welcome back to the show. I'm very happy to be talking today on the subject. We're talking about what happens in Texas doesn't necessarily stay in Texas. I am Joy Silver, and this is Outspoken. Uh, I want to welcome our my second guest today, Emiliana Wareka. She calls herself a badass Latina, founder and executive director of Women's March Action and Women's March Foundation, and she founded that in 2016. She was the driving force behind the 2017, 18, and 19 official Women's Marches in Los Angeles, and she's working on something right now, which she'll be telling about us today. Emmy, thank you so much for being here today. I'm very excited to be talking to you. Hi, thank you for having me. Great to have you today. Uh, Emmy, a couple questions that I wanted to ask you today. First of all, let's talk about you and your organizing. How long have you been organizing and what made you start? Um, I'm going to say I've been organizing my entire life um, at, with the name like Emiliana. I was actually supposed to be a boy, and so here I am. So I've been organizing for a long time, actually. My first organizing 
was around the age of 12, 13. I was organizing for equal housing rights at that time. I didn't call it organizing. I just called it uh, petitioning local city council. Um, But definitely organizing for a long time. So did you stand up in front of city council at 12 years old? Absolutely. As a Latina <laughs> whose parents spoke no English, I was the de- uh, designated translator. Oh. Um, and at the time, a lot of city council, I lived in Chicago, city council, as well as a lot of government offices, had no translators. So it was up to the kids to translate for their parents. Wow. And when did you get into California? So I moved to California 2001, 2002. And it's a blur because I really thought I was going to move back to Chicago, but here I am, 2021, and still here. (laughs) Wow, you know, that's true. Once you get into California, it's kind of hard to leave. Uh, I note in your bio that you're bringing up your family in the Jewish faith. Does that support your values? Absolutely supports my values. Um, I, uh, my husband is Jewish, um, definitely bringing up, and and our household is pretty much... um, I think, um, geared in, in the Jewish values and, and traditions, and that's very important for, for my children, my family, to make sure they're also, you know, it's the intersectionality of it. I'm a Latina. We call ourselves Latin Jews or jalapeno bagel, as my youngest <laughs> calls himself. <laughs> I've actually had a green chili bagel, so um, when, uh, I understand what uh, what the flavors are about that. That's really a, an, an interesting thing. Um, let me ask you a little bit about your organizing experience. What is it like then as a 12-year-old, and then what is it like now? How would you compare the two time periods in your life? Wow, as 12, I think, I think you know, I was a little scared about the... the um, <laughs> you know, translating and being afraid to actually say what was really on my mind because as a kid, you know, there was an injustice happening, but you didn't quite know um, how to phrase it. You just sort of asked, at least for me at the time, was, what do you mean we can't live in this area? And it was called redlining, and I didn't know what that was called, right? So now as an adult, you can pinpoint it and say, this is what's happening. The injustice that's happening is this, and this is how we're going to organize to, to, to make sure that it doesn't happen. So the confidence level, and well, you've been doing it long enough, so there you go. You've gotten some confidence in that. No one couldn't say you were not outspoken, so that's why I'm very thrilled to have you on this show, uh, Emmy. I really do appreciate that. Let me ask you, what is happening in Los Angeles on October 2nd? Oh, I'm Los Angeles. On October 2nd, we are taking to the streets in response to Texas draconian six-week abortion ban, uh, SB8, but also now SB4. Um, This law allows individuals to sue abortion providers and patients um, in Texas. Really, really uh, catastrophic for women. Um, In particular, uh, Latina women and black women are the most affected by this in Texas. So this is this is serious. On October 2nd, we're going to take to the streets all across the country, and I'm leading the Los Angeles March for Reproductive Rights on October 2nd. Oh, I'm going to ask you more about that. Um, where should people meet you to march with you? 
Uh, we are meeting at Persian Square at 9 a.m. We are meeting uh, 532 South Olive, downtown Los Angeles. We are marching a 1.2-mile march to City Hall, where we would have we will have a program um, with speakers, some music, but definitely centering the day on on reproductive justice and reproductive rights for women across the country. And what is particularly important about that October 2nd date? Well, the October 2nd date is right before the reconvening of the Supreme Court on the 4th, um, October the 4th. But more than that, it is to show across the world that women are united in, in, in the choice. Well, it's about choice for women. Stay on with us, Emmy, for our next segment. This is Joy Silver with Outspoken on Radio 111. We'll be back with Emiliana Wakwareka from the Los Angeles Women's March Foundation. Turning back the ugly wave of hate that seeks to divide. Joy Silver is Outspoken on Radio 111. Welcome back, everybody. This is Joy Silver, and this is Outspoken. We're talking about what happens in Texas does not stay in Texas. And particularly, it's happening all over the country. Uh, And here is uh, Emiliana Guareca, badass Latina, founder and executive director of the Women's March Action and Women's March Foundation. Again, Emmy, thank you for being here today. I just wanted to continue our conversation. How are you doing? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm good. This is very exciting for us. You know, we were talking about what's happening on uh, October 2nd. And in the march and the effort in the march, you talked about uh, women of color being affected uh, greatly by this Texas ruling. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Well, historically, you know, um, Latina and black women are disproportionately impacted due to economics, right? We still don't have equal pay. On average, Latina women make 54 cents to the dollar, um, right? So it's the economic hardship, inflexible work schedules, and extensive family obligations that are just facts of life for Latina and Black women in Texas. So the obstacles um, set forth for them is is what what, in my opinion, is coerced reproduction. And so when we look at the laws and who it impacts them, it's a clear indication that it's black and Latina women in, in Texas. Wow. that's uh, I certainly can see your point on that. Um, let me, uh, the Women's March, how does that change things? Does it change things? It absolutely changes things. I, I think that up in numbers um, that we, you know, uh, uh, all, we are pipeline to activism. We just don't march. A lot of people think Women's March just marches, and it's simply not just, it's not that simple. Um, we must 
be active in daily activism in order for us to see change. I mean, yes, we take to the streets, but we also make sure that we write our senators, write to Congress. We make sure that we have advocacy programs um, year round. So I think Women's March has changed a lot of the way we organize um, both on the ground as well as digitally. Well, tell me, can you give us a little uh, preview of what's going to happen at that particular march? And can you tell us again where we should meet you in Los Angeles? So on October 2nd, um, we are meeting at Persian Square, uh, 532 South Olive in downtown Los Angeles. Meet at March at 10. We will be marching to City Hall for a program that starts from 11 to 2. We are um, talking about reproductive justice and we are talking about um, reproductive rights for women across the country and who it affects. And so we want to make sure that um, women and allies all show up because the laws that have set forth in Texas will affect women for generations to come. And we can't let that happen in other states. That's right. And so we do need to show uh, strength. Do you think that the 2017 Women's March in Washington, D.C. had an effect? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that I think that we've shown strength in numbers. And I also think that the women's movement um, has has been the impetus for a lot of the new organizations and a lot of the new as well. So I think that we need to be really um, vigilant on, on these type of regressive laws. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think women can save democracy? I think women are saving democracy all over the world. I mean, look at Mexico. Mexico has, on September the 7th, made abortion legal, and it was due to the women's movement there. The women's movement is credited with, both in Argentina and in Mexico, making sure that abortion is accessible to women. That's kind of, that's amazing. Have you spoken to anybody in Texas? Yes, we will actually have the CEO of Planned Parenthood in Texas, from Texas in Los Angeles, um, speaking to us on October the 2nd. So we will definitely, um, we are also helping some women. We are helping rural clinics um, in Oklahoma and Colorado that are now seeing um, women from Texas because it's not just about abortion. It is about reproductive health for a lot of these women. I I agree with you there, Emmy. I, I think that it's certainly, if only it was just about abortion, and I don't think it is, it's more of a descent into fascism from my point of view. And I, I agree with you that women are saving democracy, and uh, it's very interesting to look at that. But, but what inspires you in particular to keep fighting for women the way you do? Because you've been at it for a while now. Well, I am still working towards equity. I hope that when my kids become adults that we all, you know, the Rights Amendment has passed, that we won't have to take to the streets and march because we would be equal. That's what keeps me going. Um, I also am an immigrant. I'm living the, the American dream by being able to make sure that I'm active in democracy and making sure that my voice is heard and that my community's voice is heard. Um, I think that's critical for democracy. 
So you're kind of defining what the American dream was really termed for. It was really termed for economic growth and and status and uh, position in, in the United States. But what you're describing about the American dream is a little bit different. So before we say thank you, Emmy, I do want to ask you how you define the American dream. The American dream is freedom to choose. The American dream is freedom to choose and to have those options. Free to choose. Yes, thank you. Well, uh, we will be, I know that uh, Lisa Schoenberg, who is our next guest from the Courageous Resistance of the Desert and Indivisible 36, is bringing some of our people uh, from the Coachella Valley out to Los Angeles, and we're going to hear from her shortly about why they've decided to go to Los Angeles. This is Joy Silver. Um, it's Outspoken. We're listening to Radio 111. If you'd like to call in, 760-677-0111. That will work fabulously, uh, we're hoping, given our technological glitches today. And this is Radio 111. Uh, I would like to introduce you to Lisa Schoenberg. She joined the Courageous Resistance of the Desert in 2017 when she moved to Palm Springs from San Francisco because she says it aligns with her beliefs and gives her the opportunity to make a difference in our community. She became the coordinator of the Women's Issues Committee last year, and her focus is working on issues that affect women in the workplace, in relationship in society at large and in politics. She's joining me here today live in our studio. So I'd just like to say hello to Lisa. Hi, Joy. How are you today? I'm great. She got here to the studio, and we do look forward to hearing what you have to say. Uh, She is here in the Coachella Valley, but she will be uh, going to Los Angeles. And I wanted to ask you, what are you doing on October 2nd? Uh, we are joining uh, Women's March Foundation in Los Angeles with many other groups to march for women's reproductive rights to make sure we protect women's rights to choose, not only in Texas, as you said when you were talking to Emmy, but in all states. Presently, 23 women from Palm Springs area will be car caravanning with us to Los Angeles. How, how would they get in touch with you to join that caravan, Lisa? Uh, they can email me right away, please, at Shoney, I'll spell it, S-C-H-O-E-N-Y, at Mac.com. And let me know if you need a ride or you're willing to drive or take others with you. We would love to have you. I I hope you get some uh, answers on that. We do want to show a big showing. Emmy uh, is going to be waiting with you and for you. That will be um, in Los Angeles. And this is Lisa Schoenberg with the Courageous Resistance of the Desert and Indivisible 36. I do have a couple more questions for you, Lisa. I'm just going to check with John if I have more time to ask those questions. John, he says, he says, I have four minutes. All right. <laughs> Tell me, why is the Women's March important to you, Lisa? Well, taking to the streets is a very powerful and important action. It's our way or my way of speaking truth to power. Uh, we are marching in every state. Um, we are joining Women's March Foundation, as I said, and other leading organizations in this fight for women's rights. And this is one way to send 
a message to our congressional representatives that this issue is very important. You know, I, I think that um, there are many uh, women's marches all over the place, some in smaller places, some in larger metropolitan places. Why is it important that we join a larger group, or why is it important to you to join a larger group that's marching? Um, well, part of the reason is because Women's March Foundation um, has... Uh, supported us in some very important uh, issues here in Palm Springs, the Maryland statue, and we just felt it was really important to support them. We also, although we had a little interest in Korea, uh, in organizing here in Palm Springs, there was a more interest in going to a larger group. And joining that larger group and the experience of that, I don't think you can quite compare it when you see such large numbers together and the inspiration that the large number marches have for us is really an amazing thing. Lisa, can you give us the email again uh, so that people can contact you if they want to join the Courageous Resistance Women's Issues Committee in the car caravan? Sure. It's S-C-H-O-E-N- Y, that's Shoney, at Mac, M-A-C dot com. That's great. Uh, well, I want to thank you, Lisa. You're a tremendous uh, coordinator for the Women's Issues Committee. I know that it's going to be a great march. Um, and I thank you for coming in today and being our guest here at Radio 111 on Outspoken here at Radio 111. I'm sure we'll have you back on again at some point. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Um I will tell you this, I myself will be speaking in Temecula at the Temecula Women's March, and that march will begin at 11 a.m., starting at the Duck Pond at Inez and Rancho California Roads, ending up at Temecula City Hall. That address is 41,000 Main Street in Temecula. That's 11 a.m., 41,000 Main Street in Temecula, and believe me, I've got many things to say about that. So uh, hopefully that will be quite the march there. They are in Temecula. It is a bit different there than it is here. So I thought they could use my help down there. Uh, we do know that uh, there's quite a difference of opinion there in Temecula versus what happens here in the Coachella Valley. And I do want to point out that uh, there was a consideration of having a women's march here. But we decided, uh, I know that you decided and the Women's March, uh, the Women's Issues Committee decided to go along for that bigger, greater experiences. Like you said, the inspiration. The inspiration and excitement about that. This is Joy Silver. We are on Radio 111 and the show is Outspoken. You are listening to Lisa Schoenberg of the Women's Issues Committee of the Courageous Resistance of the Desert, Indivisible 36. We'll be, see you soon. has a voice and she's not afraid to use it radio 111 presents outspoken with joy silver now here's joy 
Welcome back, and thank you for joining me on my very first show on Outspoken here at Radio 111. Uh, If only what happened in Texas was about abortion by itself instead of the descent into fascism through domestic terrorism. Today we heard from Julie Bornstein, who calls herself an old feminist politician and lawyer. She did talk us through some of the legal issues, and we were... uh, thrilled to have Emiliana Wareka speak to us. She is the organizer of the Los Angeles Women's March that will be happening in, in Los Angeles. And she was followed by Lisa Schoenberg, who is the coordinator of the Women's Committee Issues Committee of Courageous Resistance of the Desert and Indivisible 36. Indivisible 36 is talking about the Congressional District 36, so that is right here in Riverside County and in Coachella Valley. Uh, I myself will be going on to join the Temecula Valley Women's March, and that march will begin at 11 a.m. at the Duck Pond. They have many of their events at the Duck Pond, and then we will go on and march to City Hall in Temecula, which is 41,000 Main Street, so that's where I will be speaking. There's also a women's march up there in Idlewild with our sister Indivisible group that resides in Idlewild. I think it'll be a bit cooler there, but it's a smaller march, and if you care to join a march that's a bit smaller in size, Feel free to go up the mountain and join our sisters and allies up in uh, Idlewild. Uh, our next show that will be coming up uh, will be, uh, we're going to be talking about democracy, dead or alive. And we'll be joined by state Senate candidate Paula Setzer. She is formerly a Republican and now a Democrat, and she's running in that state of Kentucky. And I think she's got a lot to say about East Kentucky and West Kentucky and if the twain will ever meet. Um, It will be quite exciting for us uh, to hear from her. We'll also be hearing from Priya Vadula, who will be talking about voting rights a public health issue, so that will be interesting for all of us to hear from them Joy, as, as what, well. what motivated her to switch parties? Well, that's what she's going to tell us, John. Uh, she'll be telling us why she switched parties and when she switched parties, so it'll be quite exciting to hear from her on that, I think. Um, I came across her when I was running for state senate, and so uh, she only lost, I think, by something like 738 votes. So they're pretty close to hopefully bringing local governments. Democracy dead or alive, What is democracy dead or is there a chance for it to be alive? I think this is a question on everyone's mind, certainly if they are in the proud progressive side of politics. We are all wondering uh, what our options and chances are and what inspires us to keep making change in the face of so many things that seem to be out of our power. So that show will be talking about how we can support democracy and who are the people who are helping to move it forward, or is it just dead on arrival? We'll find out that uh, opinion on our next week's show on October 4th. You know, uh, this past week I heard Claire McCaskill on television, the former Missouri United States Senator, and she was really chiding people to to do some homework and find out candidates where we could really make a difference in some in some states where they need a lot of help. 
and to bring them over the top uh, because the people who are shooing candidates, if you're sending money to them and their campaigns, you know, you can feel good about that maybe, but it's not going to have the same kind of impact if we look at races around the country that people can really have an impact on creating the change that we need to see to move the needle on where those majority minority numbers are in the House and the Senate. Well, you know, the, the, the change has to come from the bottom up. And I think that's one of the strategies that we have to really zero in on. And in fact, one of our guests next week will be Carlos Garcia from Palm Desert. And the issue that they're going to be talking to us about is wanting representation from a five-district city council versus the two-city district council that's happening right now. So how are people making those changes on that local level, this is what democracy looks like. And so we'll be talking about it from the very city council point of view to a larger overview of national, and we're also going to bring it to the state level. And I think that is how we gain some strength for democracy. There's no doubt about it. We do need it. Democracy is uh, systematically being destroyed. At least that's my point of view. I think maybe, John, you may feel the same way about that. I think. I think he does. Um, and this whole concept of supporting uh, citizens uh, and being incentivized and creating vigilante militias is quite frightening. Um, I, I was reading, and I think I mentioned it earlier, Erica Mann's book called Education Under the Nazis, School for Barbarians. So we'll be talking more about that book as we go along with this show, Joy Silver on Outspoken at Radio 111.